right. This is Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Jamal Dejani. My co-host, Jess Ganam, is traveling, but he'll be back with plenty of stories to tell when he returns. Today, we are going to talk art, photography, and politics with our guest in the studio right here, Najib Johakim. Welcome to Arab Talk. Thanks, Jamal. Great to be here. Uh, did I ever tell you that I love your name? Yeah. Actually, it has a ring. You know, it's 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 it like like it's a ring, like as if you are a either a movie star or or a famous <laughs> athlete. Like, you know, I like to say, you know, welcome to the show. You know, here is Najib Joe Hakim. It's almost like it ring. It has a ring, like Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Shaquille oh, O'Neal, Najib Joe Hakim. My movie career before I became a photographer. <laughs> So it, it, it's, it really has a, a nice ring. For our listeners who are not familiar with uh, our guest, Najib Johakim works as a freelance photographer and photojournalist in San Francisco. His work has been published in numerous national and regional magazines and newspapers. He has exhibited his personal work in galleries all over the country from coast to coast and internationally. His recent project, Home Away From Home, which uses photography and audio to shine light on the experience of Palestinians living in the United States, has been, I've seen many successes, really. The project was first exhibited at uh, San Francisco's uh, Reiko Photo Center, and then you moved across the bay. Uh, you've shown it on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., and and other venues. Uh, this is such an important project. It's it's more than just uh, capturing photos, right, Najib? It also captures Palestinian American oral history, their memories, and their connection to their homeland. And for the sake of disclosure, I was one of your guinea pigs. <laughs> You survived it very well. <laughs> and I survived it very well. So let's start by telling us, uh, telling our listeners and also viewers on, on, on Facebook, how did you come up with the whole idea? While growing up in this country, you know, watching the news, watching events going on in the Middle East, I always noticed that when they were talking about Palestinians, there was never a Palestinian around to talk about it. It was always uh, an American government expert or... Uh, an Israeli or even other Arabs sometimes, but you'd never have Palestinians speaking for themselves. And it's been something that kind of irked me my whole life. And this project quite literally gives voice to the Palestinian community where they can actually tell their own stories in their own voices. So when you look at the pictures, you can listen to their voices telling you their story. It's recorded. Every yeah. single subject tells you a kind of their experience. Right. Yeah, exactly. Of course, it's edited down, but someday um, I will get it into book form so that I can have more space to, for people to, you know, for their stories. So it's not so butchered. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a great idea. I, I've, I always liked your, the story that you tell because it's it, it also, you know, your project is about Palestinian identity or Palestinian American identity, but it also 
has something about your identity because I've I remember when we met and this and how many years ago this was like yeah four or five years more maybe yeah and you were telling me the story how you grew up thinking that you were Lebanese oh yeah yeah that's yeah you want to go way back yeah so so I'd like I'd like our listeners because this is really important I like our listeners to kind of uh, hear your story okay and you know you you also spend time in Lebanon, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the time I came of age, you know, I had been born in Lebanon. We went back to Beirut several times to visit relatives. Most of my family that I knew lived in Beirut or around Beirut. So I just assumed we were Lebanese. My parents never spoke about Palestine at all, um, at least not directly. But at one point, you know, high school or maybe right before I got to college, uh, Something was bouncing around in my head, you know. My dad used to tell us stories about riding his bicycle in Jaffa. And, uh, in Jaffa? In Jaffa. And, uh, and Jaffa is not in Lebanon. Right, exactly. I looked on the map. There's no Jaffa in Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a Jaffa in, in Palestine. So I went to him. I said, well, what's the deal here? <laughs> and uh, so they told me, yeah, we're from Palestine. I grew up in Jaffa my, and told me my mom was from Haifa. And uh, and that really was like pulling a curtain away. I mean, sh- there, Arab, uh, Lebanese and Palestinians aren't really that different. But historically, since the 20th century, their histories are very different. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents, you know, when they came here, it was the, the 50s. So the, the basic immigrant est- uh, ethic was Im- assimilation, right. learn English, become American. And it wasn't until in the 60s that people started to take more pride and study their own roots and stuff. How old were you when you came to? I was a year and a half only. So I have no recollection about uh, living in Lebanon except that you were born there. Yeah, right. And And, and the visits that we had since going going back. So your your dad will go back. And and so uh, what's the story with your family? I mean, when did they move from Jaffa to Lebanon? Well, in 48, uh, my dad was actually out of Palestine at the time. And uh, he heard that there was people leaving and there was all this chaos going on in, I guess it was May in 48. So he rushed back and uh, his family had gone. And he was like, where is everybody? And he started to ask around and people told him they went to Jordan so he worked his way to Jordan and looked for them, but they had already left Jordan, and they worked their way up to Syria, and so he followed them to Syria. Mm-hmm. And they, we were lucky because my uncle had friends in Beirut who, would, who rented them an apartment in their name. So that when they got to the Lebanese border, they were allowed in because— Technically, they lived there already, or at least they, they had could, a place. They, look. they had a place to stay. Yeah, and my father just f- eventually found him in Beirut, but it was a, it was a bit of a chase. So when you came ba- you came here. Obviously, you learned that. Okay, well, you know, I'm an American. I'm a Arab American. I'm a Lebanese American because my passport or my birth certificate says that you were born in Beirut. 
What, what do you think, like, your father didn't talk about it early on, say, yeah, you might have been uh, born in Beirut, but uh, you're Palestinian. Do you think it's something, because you mentioned something very important, the the assimilation aspect. Yeah, I think their their feeling was that, you know, they want to leave all the trouble behind. You know, in 55, 56, I guess we left Beirut. It was only eight years since they left Palestine. They escaped from Palestine, so... It was still a fresh trauma for them. Mm. My mother's family left from Haifa. They got on the boats at the harbor and sailed up to Lebanon. So their experience was similar. And uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted. What was was the... No, no, I was, I mean, I know you went, I was looking into the reasons they kind of like didn't want to talk too much about okay. their their experience okay. or history. We were we were living in New York City and in Washington Heights and it was a pretty large Jewish community there and mm-hmm. my parents were concerned that you know if they discover we're Palestinian they might get run out of New York too or whatever. I know it sounds irrational or sounds ridiculous but they did still have that fresh trauma from Palestine. Um, in fact, actually, all our neighbors or a lot of the neighbors in our apartment building were Jewish. And mm-hmm. uh, there was one girl who used to come home from school with me and my mom would babysit her or whatever. I'd keep her company till her mom got off. And, you know, they were Jewish. So that really wasn't an issue um, on the person-to-person level. It was just the big political umbrella where and it wasn't for many. I mean, I mean, the thing is, uh, there is no animosity between Palestinians, and we all have uh, Jewish friends, and yeah. uh, you know that th- that's not the issue. I think it's also because if Jess was here, he would have been able. Because I'm a later immigrant, I came here as an adult. I was 18 years of age, yeah. and but he. Uh, he will speak about his, if he was here, he would be speak about his parents' experience and the assimilation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, living in Detroit and immediately uh, kind of leaving Palestine yeah. in their memories. And it took them many, many years. In fact, sadly, his dad was not uh, able to go and visit it. And just managed, you know, he has been there and he was talking about many Palestinians. They just wanted to be here and kind of work hard and raise the children and focus on education and didn't uh, discuss the politics. Yeah, we we were the same story, except uh, I remember my dad saying things about never wanting to return there. He was adamant that, you know, the country was ruined or it wasn't the same. I don't remember exactly. But when he got the chance, he got a job at the World Bank doing Middle East work. So when he actually got the chance to go back, he jumped at it. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, was a, he had his emotional side, you know, like all of us do. And, um, and I remember when people would come to visit us from the Middle East, you know, my bedroom was downstairs in the basement of our suburban house in Virginia. We had moved to Virginia by then. I'd hear all this yelling going on upstairs, and I didn't understand enough Arabic to know what that was all about. It sounds like they're fighting. <laughs> it sounds like it. It was big. Everybody's screaming. And so I ran upstairs, what are you guys arguing about? And they said, we're not arguing. We're just talking. <laughs> so I learned a little bit more about Arab culture <laughs> in that respect. But they probably were talking politics or, or something. So what got you into... Uh the art of photography, because I think it's an art. 
And you've mentioned earlier, you said uh, we've met about four years ago, but I want to correct you. This is uh, when you start talking about the project. The first time I met you, actually, you were doing photography as a journalist mm-hmm. for uh, the Business Times. Yeah, actually, and before it, that. But, but maybe, before, but, but they actually interviewed me when I was, and you showed up. So, yeah. oh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of like one way to make a living, right? Yeah. Yeah. You did this, but you then then that transcended into a real art form because I look at the the pictures, you know, they speak to you, and in the uh, project, it's all in black and white, which is makes it even more dramatic. I mean, I feel like sometimes when you take a, a black and white photograph, it just somehow it touches you in a different way than the kind of. Uh, color and now touched and photoshopped and so forth. Yeah, the color can be distracting. Um, I remember hearing uh, one of my photography teachers at City College said that if you took a color photograph, the, the one way to judge a color photograph was to remove the color. And if it's still a good photograph, then you have a good photograph. But if it's not, and it's only the color that makes it interesting, then it's not really a good photograph. So I grew up with black and white photography, and uh, I've always had a soft spot for it, and I still shoot black and white as, as for this project because there's fewer distractions in terms of what you're looking at, and it tends to have a certain richness and soul that very little, I mean, maybe dark color photography might have some, but you know, when you start getting bright yellows and reds and golds and oranges, um, you can't say that has soul. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So how did you get into this? I used to take pictures of my G.I. Joes in the snow when I was a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had a little square camera. And uh, my dad actually, I didn't know this till later, but my dad was actually a photographer in Palestine. And he would take photos for German publications. He'd run out, take whatever pictures of something happening and send the film off to, I don't know, maybe through the German consulate or embassy or something to a German publication. And um, so it somehow it resonated. My dad used to always take family pictures or mm-hmm. movies, I should say, actually, mm-hmm. mostly. And uh, so I, had, I grew up with a visual sense, a, a visual appreciation of looking around to my surroundings. And um, yeah, I've always, I've always wanted to be a photographer. I, uh, right out of college, I took my portfolio and since my parents lived outside DC, I went straight to the National Geographic headquarters. <laughs> you just like aimed very high, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I couldn't get past the reception. <laughs> she, she just looked me up and down and, and deflated my balloon. And I blame, I, I've always blamed that experience for setting back my career 15 years because I did not pursue photography again until 1990. Mm-hmm. And um, I decided, well, maybe I'm not going to make it. If I can't make it with National Geographic, I can't make it anywhere, (laughs) which is distorted reasoning. But anyway, um, so I set myself out to get a quote-unquote real job Mm -hmm. and uh, ended up graduate school and working and everything. And and then I got laid off from a job at Oracle back in 1990. And 
in the mail, there was a catalog from City College, just totally gratuitous, uh, lucky. And I flipped it open and it opened right to the photography department. <laughs> and I said, hey, you know what? Maybe it's about time I start doing something I like again. Mm-hmm. And I took a couple classes, which led to other classes. And then I just moved on from there. So um, getting laid off from Oracle was financially a disaster, but it, it changed and, 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 and improved the rest of my life, actually. It opened a whole new career for you. Yeah, all right, because I want my work to f- feel I want my to feel like my work is doing some good and 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 to be fun and to be creative. And working in an office it just doesn't do that. I couldn't do it. And back back to the project because I think this is a very important project and we were talking earlier about it your uh, uh, Najib's uh, project is home away from home and uh, last at least uh, I know in the Bay Area it was shown in Alameda uh, it started in San Francisco and we've showed it also um, in Washington DC yeah, in San Mateo uh, in also. San Mateo and uh, and I want to talk about the, the future because I it's going to be displayed I, I assume permanently in a Palestine museum or or just going to be shown there in, in Connecticut. But in Alameda, it created a little bit of uh, controversy, I guess, or interest. Why is that? Yeah. Um, well, in Alameda, there has been an effort to establish a sister city relationship with a village outside of Bethlehem called Wadi Fukin. And... Uh, Things seem to be working really well in terms of the process of getting this approved. And the people there were organizing a, a several activities, cultural activities, to, to go around the Sister City announcement. And my project, the exhibition of my project was one element of that. Um, the mayor of Alameda, for some reason that no one has been able to figure out yet, contacted the Israeli consulate in San Francisco to let them know that, you know, they're going to have uh, a sister city relationship and all these other activities. And the Israeli consul went into high gear, wrote a letter to the city, to the Alameda City Council, I believe, and, you know, told them you would be breaking California law. Wow. Be- because it's... Uh, it's a BDS organization and uh, doing business with BDS according to California law is, uh, well, not allowed. <laughs> so we have the Israeli Council General now lecturing us about California law, what is, yeah. what is uh, lawful and what is not, which, by the way, that's what he said it is not true. Yeah, it's not true at all. But the people in Alameda probably didn't know that because they're not. Well, my first problem with this is why did the mayor decide to call? I mean, if 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 you've had any other uh, sister city initiative, if you had a sister city with Mexico, you don't call another country. Yeah. Because the sister city with Wadi Fukin, this is sister city with a Palestinian village. Yeah, it's exactly. not with an Israeli community. In fact, Alameda has two other sister city relationships already. One, I think, in the Philippines and the other 
It was a country in South, a city in South or Central America. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, and 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 and, and San Francisco. I mean, every city has kind of the a sister city initiative. Yeah. And but it, but it comes because this is why, and this is exactly why your project, you know, is so important. And this is a prime example how the Israeli government goes out of its way to silence the Palestinian voices and and keep Palestinians invisible. Right. You know, because your project, the way I go back, you know, against you know, about your project, it's a beautiful photographic piece of art in a way, the way you capture these photos, but it's also, it tells a story because every subject tells his or her own story. And here comes the Israeli council, like they have nothing else to do, you know, in on the West Coast, but to go after you, an artist, a photographer, and a small town outside of San Francisco, maybe not that small, but it's yeah. Alameda is not, I, I don't think many people across the globe know where Alameda is, but to go out of his way to try to prevent this from happening. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Um, I think it's going to backfire ultimately because one, they're, they're going to be shown to be lying about not just California law, but also about what's going on in Wadi Fukin, that Wadi Fukin is nothing to do with anti-Semitism or uh, terrorism or anything. It's a small Palestinian village, and it's working, resisting the Israeli occupation, but in a nonviolent way, like almost every other community in, in Palestine. And uh, so, how was the reception? I mean, all over. I mean, I know the reception in San Francisco was pretty big, and I was there, and I saw the you know the people who came, etc. How has it been all over different venues? Um, well, in Alameda, where it is now, and it'll be up for another two or three, three weeks um, at the main library there. Um, the the Reception was incredible. Um, there was a couple hundred people. It was a jammed room. Mm -hmm. They had uh, Middle Eastern food. It was actually Iranian food. Um, we get, I gave a talk, and one of the people in the project gave a talk, uh, Reverend Michael Yoshi, um, who works on the Sister City Committee, spoke a little bit, as did... Um, uh, Paula Rainey, who's also on that committee. And in fact, one of the council members from Alameda who has uh, Arab background also gave a talk, uh, spoke there. And there was probably a couple hundred people and they seemed to really love the exhibition. And uh, I think what it showed one is that one, there is a constituency mm -hmm. and they're not going to be deterred by accusations or false accusations by the Israeli government or, or whoever put it out. And uh, it, it showed the library and the uh, city government that just because it's Palestinian doesn't mean you're going to have violence or anti-Semitic issues or anything like that. There, this is an exhibition about regular people, everybody, anything from retired professors to journalists to tech workers, housewives, whatever, the full range of ages and occupations.
so I think in that respect, it's it was is being successful in Alameda because it is showing it has been able to get up, and it is showing people that Palestinians are regular people with human aspirations and their legitimate aspirations for their homeland or for their lives here. And that's a big step forward because when the Palestinians can actually speak for themselves, there's no better ambassador, you know. Absolutely, and this is and this is exactly what the, the Israelis are trying to do: is yeah. basically steal their narrative. I mean, we went and and you know, I've I've talked about this topic probably many times. Uh, we go way back from trying to totally bury the Palestinians and say they don't exist, going to Golda Meir and others pretending that they've never existed and to the myth that, uh, you know, they came to a land without people for the people without the land. No one buys this anymore, right? Yeah. So everybody, even, you know, the, the Israelis themselves referred to Palestinians as Palestinians before they didn't. And now what, you know, for the Israeli Council General to come, to go after this uh, harmless and educational exhibit is is ludicrous. In fact, when I saw this, I said, "Oh, this is great, because now you'll get more people to want to see it." Yeah, you know, because you know, I mean, you've been moving around from these different venues, and sometimes controversy helps. Yeah. And 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 I said best publicity. I said, yeah, bring it on. You know, let's see what what you you know what they're going to to say. I've of course um, saw the exhibit both in person and I, I should tell someone asked a question. I think uh, uh, Deborah Kay will answer you. She said, where can I find your work? Online or online? Uh, Love black and white in general. Uh, I have a, a website on the socialdocumentary.net site. So if you go to socialdocumentary.net, all one word, uh, type in my name, Najib Joe Hakim, or even just Hakim into the search box, and it'll take you to three or four of my uh, projects there. But if you are in the Bay Area, you can see the uh, project right here in in Alameda. It's going to be here uh, at the at the library, yeah, Alameda the main library, for another two weeks. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, for another another two weeks. So what I wanted to say, what I find it also fascinating about uh, and really interesting about the uh, exhibit is uh, the diversity. Uh, you know, the way you kind of. I don't know if this was done purposely, the selection, you had young people, you had first generation, you had grandparents, you had people who, who, who has been going, uh, you know, uh, every year, and you had others who kind of left Palestine behind, but they left it in their memories. Yeah. And of course, men, women, young, old, different background, big cities, small cities, villages. I think this is amazing. I mean, did you kind of research this or it just kind of like you got lucky and all Uh, the pieces started to fall in place? Well, a combination. I mean, I did want as much diversity as I could just to be um, representative. Um, But I also got really lucky because I didn't have to work that hard at it. I was able to even get people from every Bay Area county except Marin. 
And in Marin, I found somebody, but they were concerned about their family back home, and they didn't really want to participate out of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, every other Bay Area county has represented it. And actually, I did fail to represent a couple of groups that I was very disappointed at about. One was uh, Palestinians at the lower economic strata here, because a lot of the Palestinians here are really educated, master's degrees and working you know, in a grocery store with a master's in engineering or an MBA or something along those or lines. Or even if they don't have the high education, they've, uh, they're business owners and they've made kind of like the American dream yeah. come true. Absolutely. I mean, one was a, as a retired history professor was had three cafes, a deli and two cafes. And I think he's since out of that business as well. But, um, yeah, there's, so most Palestinians tend to be pretty well off, but I was not able to get any on the lower economic strata. And also I was hoping to get a Palestinian who was openly gay. Now I probably could actually because I've, I've met some who are openly gay. And uh, also one other group, which would have been uh, – a Palestinian uh, imam mm-hmm. or clergy, a Muslim cur- clergy at some point, uh, some way. I, uh, I asked around a lot, and there doesn't seem to be a Palestinian imam in, in this area. At least nobody I knew knew of one. <laughs> I think there is maybe, I mean, um, maybe there used to be, but uh, you're talking about San Francisco, yeah. In the mosques, you went to the mosques and talked to yeah, them. Yeah, they tended to be either uh, Yemen, yeah, some other Arab country, or even American Muslim. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, you know, they do exist. Maybe yeah. a little bit further outside uh, San Francisco, but uh, now, um, tell us about the big news. I mean. Uh, about the museum and uh, and how you're going to proceed because, I mean, this is just in the Bay Area. Look at the reception, and then you've been to Washington D.C. We have fifty states, <laughs> <laughs> and and we have also even if you don't go that yeah. route, just the uh, communities, the big cities like Chicago and New York and yeah. Boston and whatever. Right. I would love to get the show in Chicago because that's the largest Palestinian community in the country there. Um, I don't have any contacts there that I've been able to exploit for space and whatever to to have it over there. Um, But the news you were referring to is the imminent opening of the first and only uh, Palestinian museum in the United States, which is called Palestine Museum U.S., and it's opening in Woodbridge, Connecticut, which is right outside New Haven, and uh, the grand opening is going to be in mid-April. And uh, I'm happy that um, they contacted me because they want to put some of the Home Away From Home proje- project as part of the opening exhibition there. Um, you can find out more about this museum on their Facebook page or they have a website too, PalestineMuseumUS.org, I guess. 
So this is great news. I mean, uh, just the fact that there'll, there'll be a just a museum dedicated to Palestinian art and culture, and of course, uh, photography, and you have been selected to be one of the representations. Are you going to go there when at the opening? Um, I still haven't uh, decided yet. I'm hoping to, but it's only a month away. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to do it pretty quick. Make all the arrangements pretty soon. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. And, uh, you know, you have to go all the way to Connecticut, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, hey, we'll take a museum anywhere. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and there's going to be a lot of other... Palestinian-American and Palestinian diaspora artists there. There'll be Samia Halabi, who's mm -hmm. going to have work there. Manal D will have some work there. Um, there's a, a an artist from outside the United States, a Palestinian artist who's just painted a mural for to dedicate to Rachel Corey, and her parents will be there at the opening to unveil the mural. And uh, there's artists at least for the opening show, one's from Kuwait, and uh, they're all Palestinian, but, you know, they live in these other places. Um, and, the, and it's not going to be just art. I think the creator of the, of the um, museum envisions all aspects of Palestinian culture, you know, documents, family photos. He wants to put together a real archive of uh, our community here. You're listening to the voice of Najib Joe Hakim. I like to say that. <laughs> this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. We're going to spend the rest of the hour talking to Najib about his work, uh, about art, about photography, about politics. And uh, I want to ask you this question and then we'll move on to other things. Uh, we, we talked about how the uh, basically people the reception for your uh, project, but I didn't ask you about how did the subjects view the project. How did you know what what were their reflections when they went and they saw their picture, they heard their voice? Uh, well, that's a great question because for me they were my primary audience, not just the subjects themselves, but the whole com Palestinian community. And I have not heard a negative word about it from any of them. In fact, most of them that have spoken to me about it are very happy with the project and what they say, um, what it's doing. So I was very gratified by the reaction as well as relieved. <laughs> mm -hmm. No no critics. Nobody said, oh, this didn't look good or I didn't sound no, well. No, so I, everyone was happy. Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is really great. I mean, I feel it, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, like I said, it's not only a piece of art, but it is a piece of history. I mean, you're archiving. You know, this is something that's going to live, outlive the subjects, Outlive you, outlive me, outlive everyone, and it will be there for the next generation and ge the generation afterwards to learn about, you know, those Palestinian Americans who came uh, to this country. But also, aside from, you know, we talked about how the Israeli consulate right here uh, was trying to kind of silence you or or prevent Alameda from, you know, the sister city project, the your project. 
But also, you, 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 we are in a very funny kind of period of time in American history with uh, the uh, the rise of white supremacy, uh, Donald Trump, the election of Donald Trump, and the rise of in Islamophobia. So, how do you think your kind of portrayal of now you have Palestinians and brown people with pictures? Yeah and ethnic names and groups, how do you think this will play with, uh, let's say, because, you know, the reason I'm telling you this, because San Francisco is a bubble. Yeah. And once you start getting out of this country, let's say, take the, you know, I, I would like you to take this exhibit into the heart of the Bible Belt, for example. What do you think the reaction will be? Or how, how did you face kind of any negative negative uh, reaction so far? So far, no. I have no negative reaction. Uh, I always, when I, before I give a presentation, I prepare all the challenging questions I anticipate will come from somebody who's a little bit more Zionist, pro-Israel, whatever. So that, you know, if I'm going to be accused of anti-Semitism, I have a more or less prepared answer. If I have, you know, they ask me any, you know, other issues, you know, what about having Israel and part as Israelis as part of your exhibit? I have my answer, you know, or at least I have my instinct. So it's, I try to prepare for that, but it's never happened. So um, in a way, I'm disappointed because it is a, a lost opportunity to actually make Trust me, it will happen once you leave <laughs> the Bay Area. The Bay Area. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, but all this—the atmosphere, the political atmosphere in this country—is really bad. It's worse since Trump ran, but it's not different from the Obama era and the Bush era and before, because there's been a Islamophobia before Trump came into the picture, and there's been extreme pro-Israel policies since before Trump came, et cetera. So this is just a, a, something that is continuing, and it's getting worse, but it's not originated, it hasn't originated since Trump. This is an endemic problem in the United States. It is. I mean, you, you're absolutely right about this, uh, but definitely uh, there is an uptick I would say, or uh, what I'd like to say more that these uh, bigots, they've been always around. I mean, <laughs> we don't even have to talk about it. I think we are the least victimized group of people when we compare ourselves to African-Americans and to uh, natives and other ethnicities. However, it, somehow they are now coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. during the Trump era. I mean, maybe they were in in the closet, but yeah. now they're coming out. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it's kind of like a, a mole or a rodent sticking his head up out of the hole in the ground. And we have to make sure that they get hammered <laughs> and their head goes back in. If they're going to be the way they're going to be, they might as well stay in their closet. Um, that's the way I feel about it. And But you're right. They are more brazen. But it's also pointing out to the general population who's paying attention some of the 
total inconsistencies of any of these biases and prejudices. I mean, these guys are not just anti-black. They're not just anti-Muslim. They're anti-Jewish too. They're anti-Semitic, but Absolutely. they're super pro-Israel. And there's and then the Israelis, or at least the Israeli government, is encouraging. Uh, they're playing along with these guys, and um, so there's a lot of weird stuff happening that it's exposing what's going on here and exposing what's going on in Palestine, you know, with the Israeli government. Have you thought about? Um, doing a project in Palestine, like reversing what you've been trying to capture, Palestinian Americans coming here, Palestinians in diaspora, or even taking the the project itself, taking the show, like, you know, we, we're talking about you taking the show on the road, and you've been taking it on the road to kind of like, oh, maybe we'll do one in Jerusalem, or Ramallah, or Nablus, or Hebron. Yeah. Uh, I did think about it. I mean, of course, there's the more publicity I get, the less likely I'll be able to get into the country, for one thing. Um, at least that's what I think. Um, but it's also a very arbitrary process at the border, from what I understand. You know, it's just a matter of who you're facing when you get there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think actually the Palestinians there are or would be very interested because I actually showed it to someone who lives in Nazareth mm -hmm. who used to live here. Mm -hmm. And they they were extremely happy about it. They were excited that, you know, they wished they could come back and participate. And so I know that there is some interest in Palestine, not just in the West Bank, but also in Nazareth and Haifa and Yaffa and Lydda and Ramli and Jerusalem. Or take it, take it to, at, or at least do some work where your parents came from, from both Jaffa and, and Haifa. I mean, that's an idea. No, it's a great uh, idea. It's, um, I think I could probably connect with some groups there. There's an Israeli group called Zahrot. Mm -hmm. Do you know them? Zakrot, yeah. yeah. Means, in Hebrew, it means memory, or yeah. zakira, zakrot, uh, they, memories. They might be a good sponsor yeah. for something like that. Um, but, yeah, that's something I should explore. I mean, because I think if I could get it in, it would, it would play. So let's talk about what's next for Najib Joe Hakim. <laughs> yeah, the million-dollar question. Um, well, a few things. This year is pretty busy because I have several exhibitions, um, not just with Home Away From Home, but some, some other political art and some of my fine art uh, work as well. Um, I'm going to have a, a show of landscapes, of all things, this summer. Mm. from June through September or October. And I also have a... What is that? you got to tell our listeners and viewers. So, uh, this so. is going to be also in Alameda mm -hmm. at a place called the Rhythmics Cultural Center. And um, it's a nice, beautiful space. That they, they have all sorts of cultural activities going there. So I'll be sharing that show with a friend of mine who's a painter, mm -hmm. a landscape painter. And uh, then I'll have uh, a show... I'll be participating in a show on political art, also in Alameda. This is my year of Alameda. <laughs> and then I'll, You're going to make Alameda famous. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they're they're going to, yeah, I know. 
And then there's a fourth one in Alameda this year called Radical Beauty, which is we're going to be putting artwork in empty storefronts. So in in their main fine, uh, business district. Yeah. And then there's a show in Boulder, which is uh, Boulder, opening, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado, opening soon. And it's called um, Imag- Imaginary Maps. And uh, I think we are given quite a free license to interpret that the way we want. Hmm. But it tends to be politically oriented because the curator also did a project uh, her a previous project which I was part of was called The Map is Not the Territory which explored the historical and cultural relationships between the Irish, the Palestinians and the Native Americans wow, that's, that's, through, that's through art. Sounds very interesting. It's, it is. Uh, there's a website I don't know it right offhand but um, Uh, that was a really great – that one traveled all over the United States to London, um, Dearborn, the, where the Arab American National Museum, Jeru- right. um, Boston, San Diego, Washington, uh, Portland, I believe, New Mexico, all over the place. And uh, that was a really great show. I mean, you're going to be a busy man this year. Yeah. In, in the meantime, I'm trying to get started on the next project and – That's a little slow, but I, the ideas I'm coming up with, there's, there's two possibilities. I might try both. One is something related to migration and, um, and something related to the, the hurdles facing pro-Palestinian activists in this country. And, uh, you know, between the smears of anti-Semitism and collaborating, supporting terrorists and... Uh, corruption, all these things that they're throwing at pro-Palestinian activists. So I want to be able to do something along those lines without making it straight journalism because I want to make it artistic and mm-hmm. in some respect. And I want to take it beyond what I did with Home Away From Home, and I'm not sure what that is yet. Um, in Home Away From Home, there was oral history involved with the photography, And I don't quite know yet what um, I'll do on the ne- artistically. And, and, and we, earlier you, outside we spoke about a book that you might be able to kind of transfer home away from home into a book. And I'm trying to understand how would this work? That is a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first, the book idea is something I really want to do. Uh, so that I can give the stories that people told me more space because, you know, there's only a certain amount of attention people are going to give at a gallery mm-hmm. when they're standing there. And, you know, you can probably keep their attention for two, three, four minutes listening. But a lot of these interviews were hour, two hours long. And, you know, there's stuff to be tossed out, of course, but I could at least – I'm editing the the transcripts now to make it Uh, more concise concise and uh, readable mm-hmm. <laughs> so that people can understand you know clear because uh, it's you know the way people talk is not the way you read you know you wouldn't understand what some people are saying if you simply read it mm-hmm. uh, you didn't hear the intonation of their voices or whatever um, so anyway that's 
that's a long-term thing. It would be nice if I could get some funding so I could actually pay the rent while I'm doing this. But it's kind of the thing when I have extra time, I, yeah. I get back to a yeah. transcript. Well, I, I think uh, Home Away From Home, I mean, uh, which I want to remind our listeners, it's now ex- uh, you have this exhibit going on in the Alameda Public Library right here in the Bay Area for two more weeks and then in April, it's going to be in Connecticut at the first Palestinian museum opening in April. Uh, it's going to be at the opening there in Woodbridge, Connecticut. I've never been there, but I know Connecticut a little bit, Stanford and that, that kind of, but it's close to Stanford, Connecticut, right? I don't kind really of. know the geography. Well, whatever. <laughs> we have listeners about Wood, Woodbridge, but uh, I think... This project can go on and on. I believe, I know it's easier said than done because here I am behind the microphone and you're doing the work. But we have every single city. We have listeners from Seattle. We have listeners from Chicago. We have listeners right right on this show. People are asking, oh, when is it coming here? Hmm. And I know, I mean, this is something you need the community to go to kind of line up behind. And right. and I know we have people in Chicago who, who can arrange uh, to host you there. I know we have people in New York, mm-hmm. you know. I know we have people in Boston and at least the big cities. And, of course, Detroit, Dearborn. Yeah. And so I, I you know, if, if I'm not going to name a major city in every single state. Right. Even if we thought about a dozen that's going to keep you busy for the next three years at least. Could be, but I'd be happy to do it if, you know, if I could pull it off. Yeah. And I we I have a friend. I know I'm watching my Facebook feed. We have a friend also from Australia. Wow. From <laughs> Sydney, Australia. So maybe they'll be interested. But this is because it's it's a project that combines both oral history and photography. I mean, of course, this particular one focuses on Palestinian, the Palestinian diaspora right. in the United States. But yeah. the same thing can be said of the Palestinian diaspora, I mean, in every Anywhere. single country, right? Yeah, no, for sure. In the world. And it's a project that, if necessary, can be easily transported because the the oral histories are online. So they don't need to be moved or printed or anything like that. And... The photos can be reprinted at the location. That's right. And, uh, I mean, the ones here I've had printed very beautifully. I did it as a craft. You know, I shot it in medium format, black and white film, not digital. And I had it printed on real silver gelatin paper, photo paper, and uh, on large 16 by 20 sheets. And... um, that gets expensive. It's hard to take care of, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't have to be like that. But I know that it's there. And um, so I'm willing to have things done in a different way to get – as long as we can get the project out. Well, so. I'm, I'm, I really feel that, of course, your work is not done. And I know you'd like to do other projects. But this one definitely can be stretched over and repeated time and time again. So uh, I'm sure any of our listeners or viewers uh, who can help, uh, please check out uh, Najib Joe Hakim's, uh, just Google his name, and that will take you to your website and or Najib Joe Hakim 
Home Away From Home. This is the project that he has right here in the Bay Area. And if you think this is something that you're interested in, send them an email. Yeah. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. We're coming to another end of Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. Thanks, Jamal. And hopefully we'll see you soon.